This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. When someone receives a diagnosis of cancer, the question of having children may not be top of their mind, even if they are of reproductive age. However, as cancer treatments improve and people are able to recover and live well in remission, they may eventually think of having children. That is, if the previous cancer therapies had not destroyed or impaired their body's reproductive system. Conversations about fertility preservation in women, men and children may need to happen earlier so that patients know what options are available to them. Today on the show, we're going to delve into one of these options, Malaysia's first prepubertal ovarian tissue cryopreservation procedure with one of the doctors from the medical team that carried this out, Dr. Mohamed Faisal bin Ahmad, reproductive and oncofertility specialist. Dr. Faisal, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Uh, thank you very much for inviting. Uh, I'm fine. Thank you. So, Dr. Faisal, perhaps as an overview, uh, could you walk us through very briefly what kinds of cancer and their treatments affect patients' fertility and in what ways um, would the fertility be affected? That is a very uh, important question. So, basically, uh, all sorts of cancer uh, we need to go through chemotherapy and radiotherapy. You name it, it's a hematological cancer or breast cancer or even testicular cancer. It's actually jeopardized the fertility potential. So most of them is diagnosed when they are still young or at early childhood. Therefore, when they need to go through the primary cancer treatment, for example, surgery, radiotherapy, and followed by a concurrent chemotherapy, we can actually... Uh, increase the risk of gonadotoxicity into their gonad tissue and lead to the infertility. Can you explain gonadotoxicity in layperson's terms? <laughs> okay, gonadotoxicity means that when you receive any chemotherapy agent, it can actually uh, indirectly uh, damage the active tissue inside your body. In our body, our testes and our ovary is highly divided because they have all the gamut produced there. Therefore, indirectly, it can cause damage to this, this actively divided tissue, and this is what we call gonadotoxic. And how would then this affect someone's fertility? Is it that they won't be able to conceive, or would they be able to conceive, but there may actually be some problems uh, with the fetus later on? Okay, so basically, when the chemo attack these actively dividing cells, this testis or ovary, it can actually reduce the cell potential to harvest more sperm in testicular tissue or damage all the oocyte storage in the female body. So, in male, they will actually reduce the testicular function to produce sperm in future. And in, um, in a nutshell, they have no sperm in future. However, in female, they actually have uh, numbers of storage of oocyte or eggs throughout the carrier of fertility. However, post-treatment of chemotherapy or radiotherapy, it can actually cause damage or kill all these eggs. And in future, they don't have any eggs to, to be uh, fertilized and produce a baby. So this is how this primary cancer treatment can affect both male and female 
when they're diagnosed with cancer and undergo primary cancer treatment. You mentioned that some of these uh, cancers are diagnosed in children and young people uh, and the treatment takes place in those ages as well. Um, those effects would actually last all the way into adulthood? Uh, yes, it is. Because some of the primary cancer treatment agent chemotherapy do uh, abolish the function of burnout totally. For example, in patients with hematological cancer, acute myeloid leukemia, uh, acute uh, uh, myeloid uh, lymphoma, they need to undergo a few cycles of chemotherapy that can cause damage to both organs. So that's why it can actually can carry out throughout the process as well as carry out throughout the adulthood. I feel very sad when I saw the patient who has childhood cancer come to me without any sperm or any oocyte because they have no opportunity to store that before they've been uh, treated with the primary cancer chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Yeah, and uh, you know when I started the conversation just now, I mentioned that you know, you're already hit with the diagnosis of cancer, which is uh, already such a difficult uh, burden to bear. And it's probably years later that you would think about the question of conception and fertility, right? Um, in your opinion, why is preserving fertility an important consideration and, and to for that part of the conversation to actually start early as well? Okay, basically... If the patient is a minority, for example, the age is less than 18 years old, when they diagnose with cancer, solely a uh, result of cancer leads to the, um, the uh, strategy to improve the prognosis as well as to increase the life expectancy. So most parents or patients itself didn't think about conception at that moment. However, uh, we need to increase the awareness that we need to actually start this uh, treatment earlier prior to this primary cancer treatment because most of the childhood cancer have excellent prognosis. Malaysia have produced uh, one uh, good uh, report uh, about uh, cancer survival among childhood. Majority of them, more than 70% have survived the, the primary cancer treatment and live happily after that. However, the quality of life, especially in terms of fertility uh, potential, have reduced and lead to reduced quality of life. At this point, they will ponder themselves why they or their parents didn't think about this uh, at the time that they should uh, at, during the early diagnosis and prior to the cancer treatment. How big of a burden is this in our population? Uh, the percentage of people diagnosed with cancers during childhood or affecting them in their reproductive ages? Okay, it's not many, uh, it's not that much. For example, in hematological cancer, maybe about 15 to 20% of them diagnosed with cancer. And also in uh, early adulthood, for example, uh, around 16 to 18 years old, also a similar cancer. But early 20s, for example, uh, patients with uh, family history of breast cancer, they can actually have breast cancer, about 10 to 15% of them. So it's not that much. However, uh, this kind of cancer, is um, have a very excellent prognosis because we can detect very early at the very early stage and increase in advancement of the chemotherapy and radiotherapy lead to a very good and excellent prognosis for them. So tell us more about the field of oncofertility before we go into the treatment options and the specific case that we want to talk about today. But more broadly, um, what can oncofertility uh, bring to the table for patients? 
Basically, oncofertility is a, not a new term. It started 23 years ago in US based on Professor Teresa Woodrow who coined this definition. It's actually the field of oncology and fertility in which we try to cater the fertility treatment among the cancer patient survival. So this oncofertility field can actually help in um, adjuvant therapy in improving the quality of life in cancer survival uh, for the patient who has an excellent prognosis based on their primary cancer diagnosis. So, however, in Malaysia, it hit, uh, oncofertility hit our ground in 2020, whereby um, when I was um, sent to Japan in order to explore this field, because at this moment, we don't have any expert in uh, practicing in oncofertility. So when there is a need of oncofertility field to cater for cancer survival fertility preservation option, therefore, we only started very early at 2020 and we are now at the infancy state of progressing. All right, so that's why uh, it's still new, relatively still new, and we're still at the verge of increasing awareness and escalated the treatment to the patient who actually... Um, uh, who actually understand uh, the condition and the uh, procedure. Let's go for a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like to find out what are the various methods um, used to preserve fertility in this field of oncofertility. And we will further dive into one specific method, ovarian tissue cryopreservation. Joining me over Zoom today, Dr. Muhammad Faisal bin Ahmad, reproductive and oncofertility specialist. We'll be right back on Health and Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. Joining me on the show today via Zoom, Dr. Muhammad Faisal bin Ahmad, Reproductive and Oncofertility Specialist. Today's topic of discussion, a really interesting one, preserving fertility among cancer patients, especially um, children and young people who are diagnosed with childhood cancers or early um, stage cancers that have very good prognosis and therefore they have very good chances of survival, of living well into adulthood and therefore they will reach that point in life where they start to think about starting families, having children. Unfortunately, um, for many, if that conversation about preserving fertility did not happen at an earlier stage, um, they would be left with some, you know, few to, to no options uh, when it comes to their reproductive uh, potential. So today we are discussing what can be done in the field of oncofertility, a relatively new field globally and a very, very new field here in Malaysia, uh, to help patients preserve fertility. So, doctor, um, can you walk us through what are some of the methods that are used to preserve fertility before we dive into the specific one that we'll be discussing today? Okay, uh, thank you for the question. So, basically, um, we have various options uh, for female. However, only one option that available for male. So, for male, we only have sperm cryopreservation. The testicular tissue cryopreservation is still under experimental and still not yet um, uh, portrayed into a uh, practice. However, in female, we have an oocyte cryopreservation for single ladies, which is the egg preservation. And we have this embryo cryopreservation, whereby we can do it for the married couple, uh, as well as the ovarian tissue cryopreservation 
for prepubertal mainly, but we can also cater it for the adolescent or adult, depending on the duration of the uh, fertility window that we receive from the oncologist. So we have three for female and only one for male. I understand there's something called ovarian transposition. Is that something that's used? Okay, ovarian transposition is a method of uh, surgical technique that only divert the location of the original ovarian position upward. That, one, that, that was proposed previously in order to reduce the risk of radiation when they need to go for radiation, especially at the pelvic area. But current recent research states that the scattered radiation cannot be shielded uh, by this method. Therefore, it's not suitable or it should not be offered nowadays because the cryopreservation has replaced the role of, of, uh, of this uh, transposition. So walk us through ovarian tissue cryopreservation specifically. Um, what's done in that procedure? Okay, ovarian tissue cryopreservation um, has been uh, introduced uh, in Denmark and also Europe, uh, I think about more than 25 years ago, and they already have few numbers of babies uh, delivered by this. So ovarian tissue is actually uh, the procedure that we harvest the entire ovary uh, and we dissect the part of the cortex, which is the layer of the uh, ovary that contain eggs. So we need a laparoscopic procedure in order to remove uh, one ovary from the patient and then from the ovary that we remove, we will actually delineate the area that contains eggs, what we call is cortex, and we will dissect it and we will freeze it uh, into a special titanium device called closed device uh, type M uh, that is uh, available in Malaysia. So the tissue will be freeze uh, in liquid nitrogen uh, at the degree of minus 190 and it can be stored uh, in our cryopreservation tank for 10 to 20 years before we can actually transplant it back into the patient when they need it for hormone or for fertility uh, treatment. Do you harvest both ovaries? Uh, at this current point, the recommendation is only single ovary. Ah, why is that? Because uh, if the patient, the ovary have two functions. One is for fertility, one is for hormone. Usually, the chemotherapy and radiotherapy actually will damage the oocyte or the eggs only. So, the remaining ovary that we left inside the patient body can still produce a hormone that patient needs uh, uh, for daily activity following the treatment. So, therefore, although we know that the egg will be damaged, but they still have the function of the hormone to help the patient carry through their life after the chemotherapy. So, that's why we only recommended to uh, harvest only single ovary uh, at this moment. So, basically, the idea is to get the eggs out, right? And, yes, and to preserve. Yes. Um, and, and the in the human body, I mean, for women, girls, our eggs are produced from the moment we're born, right? And that's the, our yes. lifetime supply of eggs. Yes, yeah. that's true. So during the during the baby girl, when they're born, they actually have about um, 400 to 500 eggs and the eggs will produce every month during their menstrual cycle and it will be declined accordingly according to their age. And when they embark into the perimenopausal, they will have a very scanty of egg and when the egg is deleted, then they become menopause. 
Okay. All right. So, um, trying to understand further about this particular procedure, why? Um, how is it really different from the egg preservation that you mentioned earlier then? Okay. Uh, the egg preservation, we need some simulation from the medication that required at least 10 to 14 days. So, during that stimulation, we will actually um, need the time to delay the cancer treatment. For example, chemotherapy or radiotherapy to give time for the follicle to produce from the stimulation. And then the egg will be harvested through the vagina with small needle and we will harvest all the eggs according to the uh, protocol. However, uh, if we uh, plan to do ovarian tissue, we no need to have any medication. So the delay in cancer treatment can be avoided because the laparoscopic only takes about 15 to 20 minutes and the recovery only takes about 48 to 72 hours and the patient can straight away go for primary cancer treatment. Therefore, in patients with OSI or eggs preservation, as compared to ovarian tissue preservation, we need to balance whether they can actually delay the chemotherapy, uh, chemotherapy treatment or not. In the cases like hematological cancer, most of the oncology is not happy if we delay the primary cancer treatment because you actually jeopardize the patient prognosis. Therefore, the most they can give us a time is at least three to four days, which is enough for us to do ovarian tissue. However, in breast cancer patient or thyroid cancer patient, after the surgery, they will need to take at least two to three weeks or even six weeks before they start the chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So we have ample time for us to do egg preservation or embryo cryopreservation with married couple in order to save their fertility. So that is the difference. Mm. Um, after the ovary is harvested and you slice out the, the portion with the eggs and freeze them, um, how is the frozen tissue and even the eggs within um, protected from damage? And is there a concern that the quality of the eggs would decline over those 10 to 20 years? Okay. Um, in this technology of cryobiology, we have a medium called cryoprotection. So this media is actually help to uh, protect the tissue and also the eggs inside the tissue. And of course, if we um, freeze something, there will be a damage to the tissue and usually the reported damage should not be more than 15 to 20%. So therefore, if we want to freeze the egg, the egg, uh, sorry, uh, you want to freeze the tissue, the tissue will be freeze in this medium for at least 10 to 20 years. And then following the years that the patient needs to use it, usually we will cater the towing process and uh, the quality control will say that at least 70% of the overall tissue is surviving, is considered excellent already for the patient. Mm. Would there be any potential longer-term effects on the patient's um, reproductive development? Uh, so far, from the um, study that had been published uh, in European side, they have already um, followed up the, fish, the baby that is being born by ovarian tissue transplantation. Up to 18 years old, there's no growth developmental delay, there's no chromosome abnormality, and they, they're still waiting for this baby to marry and to see whether the potential of fertility is jeopardized or not. So at this moment, the baby that born by OTT or ovarian tissue transplantation is can be considered as healthy. 
Ah, so you're talking about that the baby who was born out of the procedure. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. I wasn't even thinking about the sort of the next generation. I was, however, yes. asking about you know if you do it for a girl before she reaches puberty, um, is there any effect of this procedure on her being able to reach puberty, her reproductive development, her hormones, and all of that? Okay, so basically. Uh, so basically, um, when the patient uh, have undergone ovarian tissue, we already know that this patient will be prematurely menopause due to the primary cancer treatment. So basically, the OTC didn't actually uh, have a significant impact uh, to the patient's life because um, this is just a simple procedure, but the primary cancer treatment effect is there. So some of our patient is not menopause immediate after the after the procedure, but because of the chemotherapy and radiotherapy, after five years, they will actually have a declining of their hormone. As you remember, I stated earlier mm. that the remaining one ovary should function in order to support the patient's uh, quality of life. But if this uh, ovary is failed or prematurely uh, insufficient, so it actually uh, jeopardizes the patient's condition. So if you're talking about the OTT itself, uh, I would say no. Uh, there's no obvious effect for the patient because the procedure is very simple and all the slides and everything is done outside of the patient's body. So it's not really a matter of side effects. So what happens when the patient reaches an age where they are ready to start a family? Uh, what's the procedure to then sort of re-transplant the ovary back in? Okay, basically, when the patient already um, um, married or have partner, we will actually evaluate first what is the baseline potential of the fertility. Because some of our patients still have the remnant fertility uh, potential from the, uh, the remaining ovary. Uh, so we will not actually uh, offer the ovarian tissue transplantation, but we will help them to conceive accordingly. However, if the patient uh, already achieved menopause and she has no potential, fertility uh, potential at that moment. So we will do an ovarian tissue transplantation. So usually ovarian tissue transplantation is done also by laparoscopy, whereby we will transplant this uh, slice of the ovarian tissue that we freeze uh, into the uh, side of the remaining ovary. So the remaining ovary is become the uh, place of uh, transplantation because at that area, they still have these blood vessels of the remaining ovary that can actually support our ovarian tissue. Uh, unfortunately, if the patient already done ovarian tissue transplantation, the graft that we uh, transplant is only can last for five to seven years. So within these years, uh, we will monitor after three months of transplantation, we will monitor the search of the hormone that we uh, anticipate. And after that, we will straight away stimulate the patient for uh, in vitro fertilization in order to fasten the uh, uh, process of uh, conceiving for this patient uh, and then reducing the risk of uh, transplant failure uh, in future. Would you need to um, be assured that the patient's cancer is completely cleared from her body though? Uh, yes, of course. Usually um, the remission uh, confirmation will be uh, given by the oncologist. If the patient comes to us for conceive, we will actually ask the oncologist to give a report. The um, uh, cut-off point uh, or the basic rule that we use as onco in oncofertility field is actually two years after the remission. Means that uh, during these two years, there's a clear that the patient has no recurrence or any residual cancer. That's why. 
However, in patients with breast cancer, it's a, it's a, it's a very special because you know that in breast cancer, they need to take uh, anti-hormone for five years. So some of them is already 30 years old or 32 years old. So if you wait for another five to seven years to, for them to complete the hormonal treatment, it will be late. So therefore, uh, in this uh, special population of breast cancer, we allow them to conceive after two years of this hormonal treatment. Okay, uh, We call it as interrupted uh, hormonal treatment uh, for pregnancy. Then after they delivered, they will consider to resume back the hormonal treatment for another three to five years, depending on their treatment strategy. Ah, okay. So you wait for the whole um, cycle, like um, pregnancy delivery, um, before yes. they go back to their hormone treatment. Yes. So um, looking at the um, evidence and what has been done in Europe for ovarian tissue cryopreservation, what has been the success rate in terms of um, life births and, you know, sort of the mother's pregnancy? How has that been as well? Have there been complications? Okay. So basically the outcome, when we talk about the transplantation, we always want to the outcome of the fertility potential. So basically the reported is at least 30 to 35% of the patient who actually received the ovarian tissue transplantation uh, able to conceive. So, uh, however, that is in Europe. In Japan, uh, we, where I was trained, we already transplant uh, about 10 patients and three of them have life birth, which is comparable also with the Europe, which also 30%. So at this moment, we need to know what type of uh, process that we use, whether the type that follow the Europe, we call slow freezing, or the type that is actually emerging in Asia, we call vitrification. So both actually have comparable outcome, which is 30 to 35% of overall fertility uh, potential, which uh, which is life birth. Uh, in terms of the complication, uh, none of them will have the complication during transplantation because the transplantation also seen as trans cryopreservation, uh, which is very uh, simple and straightforward procedure. It's using laparoscopic also. All right. So those are the experiences of um, countries like European countries and Japan. After the break, we'll look at Malaysia, where Dr. Faisal had recently carried out Malaysia's first pre-pubertal ovarian tissue cryopreservation for a six-year-old girl. I'm speaking today to Dr. Muhammad Faisal bin Ahmad, a reproductive and oncofertility specialist. We're discussing options to preserve fertility among cancer patients. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. Joining me on the show today, Dr. Muhammad Faisal bin Ahmad, Reproductive and Oncofertility Specialist. We're discussing ovarian tissue cryopreservation, one of the um, several options of procedures to preserve fertility for um, children and young people who have been diagnosed with cancer at an early age where um, cancer treatments like chemotherapy, radiotherapy and surgery can damage their um, reproductive organs and tissues uh, and that would um, affect fertility down the road if fertility preserving treatments are not put in place. So, um, you know, such an exciting um, area of development and an exciting milestone in Malaysia where Dr. Faisal, you recently just carried out the first pre-pubertal case um, of ovarian tissue cryopreservation. Um, can you tell us about this patient and what was significant about this? Okay. Um, 
basically this is also, this is um, one of the experience that I have in Malaysia, uh, whereby when I received this uh, referral, this patient is six years old girl diagnosed with neuroblastoma. So as you know that neuroblastoma is um, a condition that you need an immediate chemotherapy in which they will actually uh, impair the uh, quality of life of the six years old girl, especially in the hormonal as well as in the fertility potential. So when we receive this um, uh, case, what we do is we need to activate our Malaysian protocol uh, of transplant transportation of the ovarian tissue from one center to another center. Because the laparoscopy was done um, uh, more than uh, 100 kilometers from uh, my center. So what we do is we need to activate this activation protocol to make sure that the transport transportation of the ovarian tissue didn't actually cause damage to the ovary tissue before we freeze. So uh, we activate that and we managed to bring the tissue in to our center uh, within six hours uh, with uh, the cap temperature of minus four degree. So I was very lucky because at that time, uh, I was a guide by my mentor from Japan in order to formulate the, the good uh, protocol of transplantation. So fair enough, when the tissue uh, arrived, we can see the tissue is still pinkish and healthy and we proceed with the dissection as per protocol. So in order to, um, to delineate whether this tissue is still viable or not viable, we need to do some pre-viable testing and we do an histological examination for this tissue. And, and we are very happy that actually the tissue is all intact and the oocyte is all very good uh, condition. So we managed to uh, proceed with the uh, ovarian tissue uh, cryopreservation and get at least uh, five contacts and we were able to face that. So this is considered a very first successful pupubertal tissue uh, cryopreservation with Malaysian first uh, ovarian tissue transportation protocol that we activate uh, in saving the fertility for the pre-pubertal girl. So um, I'm very honored to be part of this Malaysian milestone, if I can consider that, uh, because this is the first uh, pre-pubertal and we're looking forward for more to come in order to increase the ovarian tissue banking uh, for official use of this kind of tissue. Mm. Um, the girl is six years old um, and you mentioned earlier that the um, ovarian tissues would be stored for 10 to 20 years. Assuming um, the maximum of 20 years, she would be 26 years old. What if she's not actually ready to have children yet and she needs it to be frozen for a longer period? Okay, basically, um, the 10 or 20 years is actually based on the evidence that we publish. Okay, but the unpublished data already um, already mentioned that the uh, excellence of cryopreservation can go up to 25 years or 26 years. But we still yet need to know what is the outcome. For example, in environmental preservation, we said that it's 5 to 10 years. But in my experience, I transferred the patient after 13 years and still got pregnant. Alright, so that's why um, for this patient, although we quoted 10 to 20 years, but I foresee that it might be anticipated to be more longer than that. So by the time that she is adult, I think we have more gathered data about how long actually the tissue preservation can be, in which I anticipate at least 25 to 30 years. Eh? Because the banking for the entry uh, pubertal is uh, emerging and the data is still uh, ongoing. Okay. 
For a girl so young, um, obviously there needs to be discussion with her parents and to help her as well understand what she's going to go through. Um, do you uh, Were you involved in a team that had these conversations to explain this procedure to the parents? Did they have any concerns about it? Okay, uh, for this case, we are very lucky because the parent is very highly educated and they are the one who has the awareness and they search for it. Okay, so this is why I, I think that the awareness from the parent itself is very important. So when the team involves us in the discussion of the counselling, uh, I can say it's straightforward uh, counselling because they already know beforehand what is the procedure, what is the anticipate of the complication or side effect and what is the uh, consider of the potential of damaged tissue and things like that. But they just want to say that this is just for their daughter and they want to do it just to improve or boost the motivation of them and their daughter in order to uh, go through the primary cancer treatment. So, um, of course, uh, if you can see, uh, there is two, two sides of coin. If the parent itself is not understand the condition and aware about this, uh, it's very challenging, I would say, especially when I uh, counsel by myself in Malaysia itself. But for this patient, uh, specifically, uh, the parent is already aware and we don't have difficulty in counselling. Uh, we managed to uh, highlight all these uh, possible side effects and complication and anticipation, including the duration of tissue storage that we mentioned before, 10 to 20 years. And they still agreed uh, to proceed with the uh, procedure. So, yeah, we are lucky in that sense. Mm. So if we um, are more inclusive and we look at um, people who probably have not reached that level of awareness, um, there's um, a lot to be done, I suppose, to, to help yes. them realise the importance of this. Yes, of course, uh, being multi-racist and multi-religious in Malaysia, you know, there's a lot of boundary that need me to talk to. For example, the uh, religious boundary, the culture boundary, you know, some of them uh, don't really understand this and some of them really want to go through this uh, all this hurdle of uh, religious and culture belief. So that's why it's very challenging. Uh, so I involve also in this um, so-called Islamic point of view or other culture point of view in order to make it more uh, easier for them to understand and to accept this. Okay. So, uh, but we are there. We are there because the parents and also the patient itself already understand this. And most of the patient, I can say more than seventy patient that I counsel agreed to go through the procedure. That's why from twenty twenty until twenty twenty two. I managed to get at least uh, 16 to 17 cases already so far in Malaysia. So it's considered a very good achievement as compared to our neighbourhood country. Even though they started like five or three or four years, they only have one or two patients because they don't have this, um, what we call this ability to break into the belief, culture and also acceptability of the patient. Mm. So we are there. Our Malaysian people are very uh, understand. Uh, and also, I think because of the, the they are they love to read Twitter, you know, all the social media. Okay, they have that some information. Okay, so that's why mm. I feel that Malaysia people are, are good uh, in the sense. Mm. But what about the cost of the procedure, and how can this be made uh, more accessible and more equitable? Okay, so if you talk about the cost, people always care about the cost. Okay, but I feel that the aesthetic. Uh, feel that it's emerging in Malaysia is more costly <laughs> as compared to the ovarian tissue or any cryopreservation. 
because for the ovarian tissue itself, um, uh, our price is only $8,550 ringgit for the procedure, okay, including two years of the prior presentation. Okay, but uh, when we talk about this um, uh, laparoscopy, uh, usually if we're done in the government hospital, the patient can actually bear with a uh, guaranteed letter or the cost is very minimum, uh, less than 1000 uh, Okay, so that's why the cost is not that much. Uh, I can say that less than 10000 uh, for the cryopreservation, for their future fertility and for their life. But that's not the cost of banking every year, right? Okay, the cost of banking every year is depend on the centre. So basically, for ovarian tissue cryopreservation, we need to pay for the banking uh, at least 1500 each year. But we will come up with a package because we know that this um, cryopreservation is not uh, uh, short-term, it's long-term. So we will uh, we actually have the package of 5-yearly or 10-yearly year, ten mm-hmm. in order to reduce the cost burden by the patient. So uh, in a nutshell, at least 1000 per year. Uh, is actually enough for this patient to uh, store their tissue in the bank, sorry, preservation bank. Is there an equivalent to this procedure for pre-pubertal boys instead? Yeah, that's why that's why I mentioned earlier about the testicular tissue cryopreservation, yeah. which is not yet um, implemented as a service because uh, I was uh, also involved in this uh, of testicular tissue procedure. Uh, but the testicular tissue is very complex because the sperm is not actually formed uh, during the prepubertal part mm-hmm. as compared to the girl because they're born with the eggs. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why when we try to culture and cryopreserve the tissue, there's highly tissue damage and ischemic as compared to ovarian tissue. Up to now, uh, I can say that worldwide, we don't have testicular tissue cryopreservation just yet. Okay, we're still uh, undergoing study and experimental at this moment. So no options actually for boys then? No, no. Mm. So far, sadly, no. That's mm. why I only can put, uh, can only uh, freeze the sperm uh, for for the boys. Okay. Um, you've been very, very, um, you know, optimistic and enthusiastic about the potential of uh, this procedure. But um, are there any challenges you still foresee? Any uncertainties that you have about it? Of course, of course. When we started this uh, this procedure in Malaysia, the uncertainty, uh, the uncertainty is is still there. Whereby we are at the verge of developing the banking. So when I talk about this procedure, people always ask me, "What is your outcome? What is your life birth?" You know, uh, when I started in twenty nineteen in Japan, when I reached Japan, Japan just reached ten years of ovarian tissue. So they are just started of transplantation after 10 years because the patient coming back for transplantation. So in Malaysia, I just started about three years ago. So my uh, era is just to improving the cryopreservation itself to improving the bank, but not yet the outcome. So that is my challenge to uh, make our clinician, our doctors uh, itself to understand what is the uh, process or the phase that we are having now in Malaysia. So my challenge, Jean, my challenge that if you ask me is to uh, to make them understand that uh, Malaysia is still at the verge of developing the banking. So maybe I need about 10 or 15 years before I can start to see whether uh, this outcome will be as good as each other Asian country or as good as in Europe. But 
having said that, of course, um, for the curry preservation, uh, I already um, go through all this protocol, optimize all the protocol, and have all the evidence that we will be done in Malaysia is similar or equivalent to the other center. So I optimistically uh, anticipate that our outcome will be as excellent as other countries. But that is my challenge, to make them believe that we need this bank first before we can see the outcome. And more broadly, how do you hope the field of oncofertility will continue to develop? What would you like to? What else would you like to see? Basically, um, I was really emotional if we talk about this because of the funded that is not really there for some of the underprivileged patients. Okay, uh, I see a lot of patients who come to me have no money to do this, but they are really indicated. Okay, so I hope that in future, I'm. I hope that in future we have some financial aid for this patient and our government, especially the Ministry of Health itself, can look into these matters and put some budget allocation for this uh, uh, for this uh, uh, strategy in order to improve the overall outcome of cancer survival. We always talk about cancer survival, but we never talk about the fertility potential because we are in era of declining of fertility potential, not even in cancer patients. So what more is in cancer patient? Our total birth rate is reducing, declining. So that's why I think this is one of the important issues that we need to get. So my hope is we have some financial aid uh, in order to improve this outcome, as well as we need to train more scientists and the doctors need to be more aware of this situation and do advise the patient to opt for the oncofertility treatment uh, during the uh, primary cancer diagnosis and also treatment. That is my hope. Thank you so much, Dr. Faisal. I've been speaking yeah. to Dr. Muhammad Faisal bin Ahmad, reproductive and oncofertility specialist, right here on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.